0: Liftoff. We have a up. This is the Owls Podcast. It serves as a disclaimer: all views expressed on this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. I am not a financial advisor, and recommend that you seek one. When seeking financial advice, enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Owls Podcast. And again, I'm your host, Dwayne McCarthy, and this is the Owls Podcast episode 15 we still in this thing and for those who are new listeners this is the owls podcast owl stands for observant well-educated leader and if you are listening to this podcast you're just that an observant well-educated leader now for those who are returning listeners i greatly appreciate you for your time and your ears you didn't have to be here but you're here anyway so i greatly appreciate you for doing so and uh as always um I like to give a little life update or recap, if you will, um, before we get into like the meat of the podcast. But um, um, for those who may be watching along with me, uh, me and the wife, we just finished I think episode seven or eight of uh, Raising Canaan. And again, for those who may not be familiar with it, it's Fifty Cent's or Curtis Jackson's uh, TV show. It's one of his most, I guess, like um, popular TV shows that he has right now. And uh, basically, it's a spinoff of the main power universe as far as the main storyline of the main character uh, goes. But it's pretty much as far as tells, you know, um, Kanan's, I guess, inception story, how he got to where he is. But anyways, um, we're in episode, we just finished episode seven or eight, uh, I think. And uh, I don't know why, you know. Ronnie, different man. I like Ronnie. I, some people may judge me, but I like Ronnie. He weird, like he's just socially awkward. But at the same time, though, Ronnie kind of like one of those individuals. Like I just kind of just mess with. Like he, I, I think it's more so the fact that he's like very, um, like quiet, mystique. You know what I mean? Like he's super methodical, and at that too, he's observant. <laughs> and I think it's just more so like. He can get more done because he he spends more time watching than he does, you know, talking. And I think that serves him well. Now, I don't know if he was like that prior to the pen or him like, you know, in the pen. He, uh, you know, developed those skill sets where he just kind of like developed stealth and he's like super observant because he weird. Like, I don't know, like, you know, even unique in his like girlfriend or whatever, like they were kind of like creeped out by him because he just. He's very meticulous. He's like socially awkward. But, you know, he has like a, a way about himself. You know. You know, but I will say I thought Ronnie had them hands where he got like the neighborhood shook. But no, like if you watch that the episode where he fought uh, unique, like, man, I thought Ronnie had them hands. No, he gotta pick up weapons and stones and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that. I couldn't get down with that. But, you know, um, I think uh Besides that, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, hold on. Even with that, like, Ronnie got to sneak up on people. I thought about that, too. Yeah, Ronnie got, like, to take out a member. He got to, like, sneak you or something like that. You know, there was that one, I guess, supplier in the show. And uh he had, like, sneak in his house to kill him. So I was like, man, Ronnie weird. He can't fight, but I like him, though. I don't know. I don't know what that means about me, though. <laughs> but anyways, um you know, Raising Kanan, it's it's getting pretty good, I I will say. I want to see Ronnie do a little bit more stuff other than just, you know, shake people down by just, like, looks and whatnot, you know what I mean? I kind of want to just see as far as, like, what's his business plan, what's his model, you know what I mean? Because at this point in stage, we're kind of just seeing how he's molding Kanan to be potentially the the man that we see in the later on Power Series or the early on Power Series. So I kind of want to see, you know, there's this, I guess, theory, if you are familiar with the... The lore of like the the Power Universe, you know, the character Breeze is the guy that teaches, you know, Canaan and um, Ghost and Tommy as far as like the game, as far as like drug dealing and whatnot. So I'll be curious to see if he like kind of opens up, and he is the the quote unquote mythical character that teaches them, you know, the game. So, anyways. With that being said, let's go ahead and get into the market report. So this week we got a lot of big economic data coming out, right? Um, we have the FOMC meeting on January thirty first, and this is a big deal. Um, you know, for more than one reason. You know, it's it's an election year for one, and also two. Um, what do we do about interest rates? You know, uh, what do we do about the Fed fund rate? You know, um, as of right now. Um, Inflation or CPI is roughly at 3.2 percent, which is good. You know, Jerome Powell still wants to get inflation down to his 2 percent target. However, though, you know, we had some data that came out last month, or that is from last month, that kind of may shape and mold as far as his decision, as far as how he may approach interest rates. You know, a lot of people are anticipating interest rates to be cut sometime March. Some say second half of the year. Um, We just don't know. In the day though, um, I'm pretty sure that, um, people are looking for some form of relief, but I guess the big question is will inflation return, right? But, um, I have some theories or some views that I think, you know, we may see, uh, a lower CPI, even though that like in December we saw that, um, I guess like spending went up, you know what I mean? As far as like consumer, uh, consumption, we saw that it went spinning up, um, And I think, you know, as far as how I say it, with with the Fed trying to gauge as far as even with like the the housing market. Right. I think this is going to be the deflationary thing as far as when it comes down to CPR, because the fact that we have a low inventory of homes right now was kind of contributing to this this whole inflationary environment right because inventory is so low. So the bidding wars are kind of starting up you know what I mean I think some people are, are anticipating these um, interest rate cuts you know to take place and uh, so some people may still be looking for a home right now and they're willing to pay whatever at this point in time and uh, but you know some people forecast that this may be problematic you know as far as it may actually keep inflation higher um because if there's such a minimum amount of houses that are available or that are being sold right now you know when people start to bid on these homes it's it's going to just be this bidding war and that's what people fear especially if they do cut interest rates in the near near term future so but the good news is is that um last month we saw that the building permits went up so so building permits went up i think to I think 49 million versus from like last month it was at like 1.46 million as far as impairments. permits so which is showing that there is a a demand-based building to help supply homes um, so that people can now afford single-family homes right so this will be in my opinion a deflationary effect because the more homes are available it's going to decrease the prices on homes right so if people have options you know what i mean because it's again it we we go back to like the early shows like the early episodes of the the podcast where we talked about you know as far as inflation right because there's so many there's so much money out in the economy it devalues the currency right and it's the, the 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 example the analogy if i have a million and one michael jordan trading cards the value of it's going to be lower if I try to use it as a commodity or trade it right but if instead of there being a million and one let's just say there's only you know a thousand Michael Jordan trading cards out there the value of them are going to be a lot higher so <clears throat> if if we can increase the number of homes that are available single-family residents out there we can now decrease the prices of homes which is going to be a deflationary environment right. And so this is a good thing for um, the economy. But um, I mean, it'll be pretty interesting to see what's going to happen. You know, as we're starting to see that, uh, I mean, the the economy isn't taking the effect that I guess many people anticipated last year. Again, we were screaming recession, recession, recession. But. We're also seeing unemployment claims still potentially go lower. You know what I mean? Um, the Fed had argued last year that in order there, for there to be a recession, we need to see unemployment claims going up. We Remember, we saw two years ago um, <clears throat> that we had two negative quarters in GDP back in November of I think twenty twenty two, and Powell, you know, backdoored it with saying that well, in order it for it to be a true recession, or you know, for us to have Uh, you know, truly be, you know, a matter of negative GDP, we need also to to see um, unemployment claims go up. But we're still at historical lows. We're still at roughly 3.4% as far as unemployment claims. We have unemployment claims actually coming out later on this this week as well, too. And I think um, we're expected to see 211,000 unemployment claims. Uh, Last month, it was 214. So uh, with people being employed, that's also too a deflationary um, event as well, too. So I think 2024, we're actually looking pretty good and possibly even 2025 as far as steering of a recession. Now, I'll say that, you know, but mind you, I was one of those individuals back in 23, you know, early 23, saying that we are possibly heading towards a recession due to you know, macro events such as like the Evergrande situation, we had the Russia-Ukraine situation still taking place, and we have supply chain issues, and I mean, we just had these big macro events that were taking place, but here in the U.S., we've been seeing economic growth, all right, and that's been a good thing, that's what's been keeping us afloat, and we've had very little stimulus outside of, you know, President Joe Biden signing certain things like the CHIPS Act, which has been, you know, one of those key factors is was also been helping with employment is that we have been seeing that by um, creating jobs in the semiconductor sector, um, building infrastructure for it, that we not only help create jobs, but we also um, decrease the, the reliance on other countries um, as far as semiconductors. Because remember, China had America in a chokehold when it came down to dependence on semiconductors. So with the CHIPS Act, you know, I think it was like. I think it was roughly um, about two hundred and eighty billion dollars that was given in the Chips Act, and so again, like I said, <clears throat> when when factoring all these things in, and especially you know now, I think that we are steering clear of a recession. And you know, one thing I've been learning as I've been reading that Twenty First Century Monetary Policy by Ben Bernanke, you know, he talked about certain things that you know that leads to any deflationary environment. Right. So they talked about things that they led to a deflationary environment and help with unemployment and stimulate the economy back in 07 and 08 was that this is when they officially started um, utilizing monetary policy effectively. So, you know, monetary policy is basically how they influence interest rates, right? And then they also too use crisis fighting policy techniques and tools. So what they did was, and this was the first time recorded, I believe in history was Ben Bernanke had issued that the Fed was going to start purchasing um, treasuries, right? So remember treasury yields and treasury prices have, um, they have opposite effects of one another, right? So when treasury yields go up, um, the prices of the bonds go down and vice versa. When the prices go up, the yields go down. So um, and also, too, they used they bought mortgage backed securities, which also took a a big pressure off of the 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 housing market. Right. So when people were looking to buy homes, the yields were so high and basically by the Fed purchasing. Uh, mortgage-backed securities, it brought the yields down. So they have like like re- reversal roles of one another. So um, right now, I think you know the Fed is doing a pretty good job as far as keeping interest rates where they are. You know, this is historically where they are. It's like five and a quarter. That's where, really, we're at five and five and a half uh, as far as percent in interest rates. So. Which is good. I mean, it's a healthy economy, right? Unemployment's low, historically low. Um, you know, we're starting to see housing take place. We're starting to see, you know, an uptick in um, job creation. We're seeing an uptick in chips and the semiconductors. So, uh, but I did read, though, that China is facing like this major crisis that was the equivalent to, quote unquote, our, our uh, great recession in 07 and 08. So they have all these deflationary events as well, too. Um, so we'll see how that affects the, the global market. I mean, right now, I think it's still kind of just one of those things that's on the radar, but isn't expected to be kind of like, you know, to take it's a toll on the U.S. economy. So anyways, with that being said, this is earnings week. So we, you know, we've had a very interesting Q4 um, last week. We got. Um, Return. Oh, we got earnings on Netflix. We got earnings on Intel. Now, Intel, as far as I mean, take this with a grain of salt. Um, Intel did fairly, fairly well in relation to as far as its earnings. Um, they brought in roughly two hundred thirty million dollars. Uh, but I, again, I think that's also because of the the Chips Act, um, which you know there was like subsidies provided. Um, but I still think overall. They're lacking in innovation as far as its competitors like AMD, right, um, NVIDIA. And so I think these companies still far outpace Intel. Now, there are some, you know, catalysts that go into 2024 for Intel as far as um, they have these new like C4 Computer models, they're supposed to come out, they're supposed to be the fastest. Now, take that, again, with the the grain of salt in relation to as far as um, its other competitors. But, um, allegedly, it's the world's fastest desktop processor, So, which is supposed to be like a catalyst for the stock. Um, But also, too, they also are discussing having a dividend increase. So, this may perform well for the stock, or do well for the stock, but overall, I don't think it's supposed to... um, mean much in relation to as far as its competitors um like amd and nvidia so because you kind of have to keep in mind that amd and nvidia there's still a strong demand for their their chips right you don't hear many companies saying that they have a demand for intel and like i said intel i believe is just benefiting off of the chips act right but there is a true market there is a true demand for there's a true demand for um AMD and, and NVIDIA products. So, I think you know, take it what you will. Intel is doing fairly okay, but it's not a, a, a competitor in relation to NVIDIA and AMD. Other than that, we had in uh, Netflix. Now, Netflix did pretty well um, in Q4. They added 13 million subscribers, right? Um, in total, they have roughly 230 million subscribers. Subscribers, excuse me. Um, But, you know, what really helped Netflix out was the fact that they switched their business model, right? So we talked about this um, on my little Instagram feed as far as what led to Netflix really doing well. Because remember back in uh, 23 and a little bit of 2022, um, you know, Netflix had brought up the idea of changing passwords, not necessarily changing passwords, but having um, to increase their uh, business model as far as surrounding sharing passwords. So, if you were noted to share um, passwords, basically it reflected in your subscription price, right? So if you were someone who was sharing passwords, you you paid more. So that was something that helped as far as their profit margins. But not only that, they increased their their tier service, right? So their advertising services, as far as like the different um, accounts that they offer, you know, um, in order to have them like ad free services, to have multiple um, users, that you know. Or screen sharing, like those things, those prices went up, which also helped with um, their profit margins as well. But not to mention that, you know, not only mention that, but, uh, you know, um, WWE recently had signed to do a deal with Netflix for 10 years, um, basically bringing live sports to Netflix. So now this is a big win for Netflix, you know, because at this point now they have another tool in their arsenal. Now, also, Netflix has, you know, brought in. Uh, a large sum of free cash flow at this point now. I mean, they're up, you know, over three hundred percent as far as cash flow. So this has led to also to them being able to produce better shows, um, better movies. So Netflix is definitely winning. And you know, if you think about its, its other streaming competitors like Disney and Apple, they're not doing as well. Especially Disney. Disney is losing subscribers due to the fact that just. The shows aren't doing as well. I mean, the, the they're kind of just throwing out shows that really haven't captivated an audience just yet. So I think Disney at this point now is trying to do what Netflix is doing. I mean, they're trying to revisit their, their, their business model and their structure to really be able to capitalize on the market. Right. I think a lot of people, I mean, I myself have definitely enjoyed the Marvels, like as far as not the Marvels movie, but. Um, as far as what Kevin Feige and them have produced over the years, it's always been a captivating, you know, storyline to see how they all intertwine as far as the movies and whatnot. And then they introduced the, the smaller productions, the shows and stuff like that. I think that has been, you know, very unique. But I think also, too, it's just some of the shows like She-Hulk was not that captivating. I mean, I have a nine year old and we watched it together. She enjoyed it. But as an adult, I really couldn't get into it as much. You know, um, I haven't seen secret invasions, not because I didn't think it was interesting, but it, it at the end of the day, I guess some of that stuff, you, you, try to figure out how that ties into the main MCU, you know, it's just not that captivating, you know, at one point it was entertaining that they were going to start bringing back, you know, some of the original cast from the Avengers, such as, you know, um, um, like Robbie Downey Jr., you know, uh. Was it Chris Evans, like those those kind of like, you know, stars back to recast or excuse me, to reclaim their roles. So I don't know. You know, I think Disney has to figure out, you know, what they're going to do to recapture those subscribers again. We also had um, Visa visa reported earnings and they did fairly well. I mean, they also, you know, beat their earnings by 50 million dollars. Um, they also announced that they're going to increase their dividends by 52 percent. Excuse me. Fifty two cents. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I really want to get to is uh, Tesla. So Tesla, they're, they're in this, this little space where they're suffering as far as like their gross margins, like their profit margins. It's not doing as well. But I think, you know, a lot of it is due to the fact that, you know, with Elon cutting the the, the prices on the models, That's what's been leading to like one of their biggest downfalls. Now, mind you, um, their sales have slumped and the automobile industry for them brings in roughly 85 percent of their business revenue. Now, they offer, you know, as far as like energy and savings and other services, and those make up some a certain percentage of their their profit margins. But, you know, when 85 percent of your your revenue comes from. You selling vehicles and mind you like these these vehicles they they cost a lot to make you know what i mean so when you cut as far as like your 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 sales you give this discount on your sales it it really does hurt your your profit margins in the end and i think also too people are kind of are trying to see where i guess elon is gonna go to next as far as like innovation wise you know um as many know, he has Starlink um, and other ventures that he works on, and some people have speculated that he should kind of just join these ventures all together. Um, that he may be just stretched too thin in regards to as far as running these different businesses. But ultimately, though, I think it would it would help him out quite a bit, I think, if he could just focus on, you know, one or two products and just hone in on it you know what i mean because right now i think many people as far as investor wise don't see growth ahead of um tesla in the near future now tesla has a new model coming out in 2025 i think it's called like redwood like tesla redwood and it's just another model you know like the x and the y you know what i mean um but it's supposed to be more of a cheaper model as far as like Tesla's model supposed to be roughly about around uh dollars per uh, per vehicle. So anyways, I think that'll be like the only next catalyst for like Tesla coming up pretty soon. So with that being said, let's get into tech talk. Now, this also ties into earnings. So Google is reporting earnings tomorrow at the time this recording is tomorrow, Tuesday. Right. Um, And all eyes at this point now are pointed towards their cloud services. So um but not only their cloud services but as far as their AI innovation because if you haven't been paying attention what's been the catalyst as far as um the stock market um it's been tech but more so the narrative is centered around artificial intelligence and cloud services. So back in um I think it was September of 23, you know, Google had showed that they were suffering in the cloud services they stopped spending as much money on their cloud services and you saw that people started leaning towards Microsoft Azure and then you had Amazon's AWS now these started taking over as far as the cloud service and you know the big question is you know that I guess I want to propose is why is cloud service so important right so um, if you think about it cybersecurity is a big thing and cloud service is supposed to help um, combat cyber security right but it also encompasses like efficiency data housing like these are some of the things that like these businesses have contracts with the government and other businesses because of their cloud services and, and some of the products and services they offer in it now you know we recently heard about what was it like like a wall firm street that was attacked the other day um, it was like Equaland, and they recently had to go offline because they suffered a cybersecurity attack. So, um, cloud service is supposed to help with that, um, but also, too, it's supposed to help with efficiency, right? So, um, that's one of the big things that a lot of investors and analysts are going to be paying attention to when they report their earnings. Is you know, our are, are, are Google making their way back to, you know, pushing more money into the cloud services now where they are seeing an increase in revenue is advertising and like some of their AI features and also to like their search engine and YouTube. So these are some of the, the the biggest things as far as like catalysts, as far as their revenue drivers right here. But I think cloud service also does make up a good portion of their their um, their business model. So. We'll see. I mean, we have earnings. I'm an investor in Google personally, and I want to see that they are making more of an initiative to focus on cloud services because when you see the likes of Microsoft and Amazon really double down on, you know, cloud services and uh, AI features, I definitely want to see them be like a competitor in that space. Now, mind you, I do have Amazon as well, too. um, I have Apple. But I'm definitely curious to see how they're going to um, address some of these speculations on the cloud services. But something else that I guess a lot of people have been paying attention to within Google is the number of layoffs they've been having. Right. And a lot of it, though, is in the hardware section in the sense of like the the pixels, the nest, the Fitbits. Like that's where most of their layoffs has been taking place in. It's like the hardware. But also, too, you do have some layoffs in, like, the core engineering. You'll have layoffs in some of, like, the assistant teams and stuff like that. Um, and it's, like, on the thousands. Like, But versus, like, the hardware, that was, like, 12,000 people that were laid off with that. Which, you know, leads me to believe either they're turning away from some of those products or that artificial intelligence may be able to help them be more efficient in certain areas. So... Um, I'm curious, you know, um, I think investors are just kind of like speculating at this time. What what does micro excuse me? What does Google have up their sleeve as far as these tech layoffs? Because I mean, they're not the only ones. I mean, these other companies are, too. But I mean, it could mean either (laughs) one, they're anticipating, you know, a a slower down, I guess like a slower economy or they found ways to be more efficient in what, what they have. So I'm curious to see. You know, we'll find out tomorrow at the time of this recording, which is January 29th So we'll see. But anyways, that concludes our tech talk. Um, now I want to get into stoic talk. And um, so a few weeks ago, I was um, listening to a poet by the name of Harold Green. Some of you may know him. I d- I didn't know him at the time of this, um, but he did a a speech titled um, What's more dangerous. So within it, he talks about what is more dangerous. A man who is afraid not to die or a man who has everything to live for. Now, of course, within it, this is a it's like an either or scenario, right? Because both have something internally that's making them fight right so for the man that fears nothing right he has no fear at this point no reason to hold back his either uh, his intent is either to gain or it's carnage at this point right so at this point um, you know he's willing to take extreme risk you know a lot of aggression is at this point you know out of out of, out of desperation um, but The man that has everything to live for is a man who has um, everything to lose. He's happy. He's content in where he is. Um, He has a reason to preserve his condition. Um, And at this point, he feels as he has a right to to protect what he has. Right. And so sometimes I think I find myself in that situation. You know, I think we find ourselves in that situation when it comes down to um, our goals um our life experiences you know things that we want there are some things out of desperation we're just willing to do right uh, we're willing to take the sacrifice and whatever it means in order to to, to gain some type of vantage point point. and so no matter what spectrum you stand on whether you have nothing to lose or you have something to to fight for your why at that moment is what supersedes everything. So as you go about through your day-to-day process, as you go through, whether it's providing for yourself, whether it's providing for your family, um, let your why supersede everything, you know. Um, so with that being said, this is the conclusion of the Owls Podcast. And again, I am your host, Dwayne McCarthy. I can't wait to do this again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's something...